0: Good morning. good morning. Happy Mother's Day. It comes around every year, doesn't it? Mother's Day. And uh, that means that either one or two things, guys, that you're going to take your wife or your mom out to dinner today, or you're going to go home and you're going to grill. That's what it means. But uh, that's okay. It sounds good. So anyway, I trusting that you all came here today with Bible in hand. We're going to talk about moms and their sons, especially one mom and her son. You know, I've been thinking about this message. I said, you know, it is Mother's Day. You want to say something about moms, right? That, uh, you know, everybody's got to have a mom. But I said, but I want to talk about moms, but I need to talk about Jesus. So what I have done I've, I've got a message about seventy uh, percent Jesus and thirty percent mom. Is that okay? I figure that uh, I, I gotta go. I gotta go with with, with preaching the gospel here somehow. And, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad that, that moms are here and I'm glad that you are here for for worship today. Uh, what I need for you to do is to look at uh, your Bibles in John chapter two. We're going to talk about weddings. Isn't that neat? It's a neat subject to talk about, In Weddings. Chapter 2, John's Gospel, beginning at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out And take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, And manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful gift Jesus gave to this bride and groom at their wedding. But Lord, He's given a greater gift to us, Father. That uh, He has taken away the old and has given us the new. He has taken away the law and given us grace. He has taken away death and given us life. And now, Lord, we ask that as this message is shared today, Father, uh, Lord, not just for moms, but to touch all of our hearts, Lord, that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you enjoy going to a wedding? I guess it all depends. If you're paying for it, you may not, but they're expensive, aren't they? You know, here's $55 million. Uh, But most everybody loves going to a wedding, especially if it involves the marriage of a family member or a close friend. You want to be there. And of course, of course, there is always the reception that follows. And, and, you know, everybody loves going to the reception. Uh, In the reception, there is food, food. Music, food, dancing, food. We love those weddings. Mark likes it. He likes the food. But as we see here in John's gospel, just like it is today, weddings are a major part of social life, aren't they? Do You want to go. You want to be a part of it. And isn't it amazing... The bride comes down, beautiful white gown and all that, and she paid zillion you know, dollars for it. You know, you pay all that money, you can wear it one time. It's a one-time deal, folks. She comes down, and everybody turns, and they, they're playing, you know, bells, whatever it is, or they're playing, here comes the bride, and she's marching down the aisle, walking down, and people stand up. They stand up, and they turn, they look. They oh. Isn't she beautiful? And, and then here comes the groom from some side storage room <laughs> sli- slithering out. And nobody ah. oh, pays attention to the poor groom. You know, he can come out wearing dungarees. It uh, doesn't. As we see in verse 1 of our text, though, it, it reads in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. What does that mean, on the third day? The third day from what? What third day are we talking about? You know, they didn't say, well, there's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because there's a Sabbath day, and then there's, you know, the next day, and the next day, and the next day, until it's the next Sabbath day. On the third day from What? The answer is found in chapter 1 of John, verses 43 to 51, where Jesus is, has called Nathanael to be his disciple. Therefore, from the time that Jesus calls Nathanael to be his disciple, it is three days from that. It's not the third day like, well, if Sunday's the first day, then the third day must be Tuesday. No, it's the third day for when Jesus calls Nathaniel. And he calls him to be a follower. Just like God has called you to be a follower of his, there's a specific time when God called you to be his follower. Every one of you who've put your trust in Jesus, there should be a particular day. Mine was June the 15th of 1969. 25 years old and for the first time in my life I heard the gospel I came to know Jesus as my Savior as we look at verses 1 and 2 of our text we find Jesus and his disciples and not all the disciples but only the ones he has at that time because they're all not there yet he's just just starting his ministry but he does have a few of them Peter Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, and John. So those disciples and Jesus and Jesus' mother are part of the wedding party. They're invited to it. So they're all present along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, at this wedding. Notice also where the wedding is being held. It is in a place called Cana of Galilee. Jesus' very first miracle, this is the first miracle, the first sign that he presents, occurs in some obscure village far from the famous city of Jerusalem. And if you can think of this, if you think of the, the map of Israel, because you know, I know you got it in there, you all memorized it. But if you think of the Dead Sea, well, just, just to the top of the Dead Sea and to the west a little bit is Jerusalem. But if you go straight up about 75, 80 miles, you're going to come to the Sea of Galilee. And right around the Sea of Galilee is this little obscure, nothing of a place called Cana. I mean, you don't, nobody goes there to vacation. If you're going to vacation, you're going to go to Jerusalem. If something big is going to happen, it ain't going to happen in Cana. It's going to happen in Jerusalem. If something important is going to happen, it's going to happen in Jerusalem, not in Cana. But this first miracle doesn't happen in Jerusalem. It happens in Cana. This little obscure village out of the way. Let me ask you, if God were to do something big, if there were to be some great revival take place, wouldn't you think that it would be in some big major city? Or perhaps if there was a great working of the Holy Spirit of God That would occur. Wouldn't you think that that great working of God would occur in one of the big mega churches? You know, some churches got 10, 15, 20, 30,000 people. I mean, it would never happen in a church like this with maybe 150, 200 people. No. Oh, In order for a miracle to happen, we need thousands of people. Thousands. God would never work in a small church, in a medium-sized church, God only works in big churches. Do you believe that? I mean, folks, do you think God is in the business of counting nickels and noses? Do you think that really matters to God? Who says that God can't or won't do something great right here in our city? And in our church. The apostle Peter says concerning. The great work of God in bringing salvation to the Gentiles. To a, to a soldier by the name of Cornelius. Peter says concerning that. God is not one to show partiality. God can care less. About the size of the church. You know what really matters to God? That every church be it small. Small. Listen, I I have started churches. I've I've had a, a congregation of three people, and I've got to speak. I've got to speak in a congregation of over fifteen hundred. You know what? God is in both places. God's in both places. God is not one to show partiality, Acts 10.34. Believe it or not, it does not have to be in New York, L.A., or Boston. Do you realize that God can work right here in Hazelwood, Missouri? As to the wedding, it seems as though Jesus' mother Mary had a part to play in the wedding celebration herself. According to Jewish historians... A wedding in biblical days may have a time of celebration to last as long as one week. One week. Could you imagine that? A one week long reception. Just think of the donuts there, Mark. The cake. I hope it's not chocolate. For the groom. For the groom the one who's responsible for the libation for the for the drinks at least that much to run out of wine would be a social embarrassment for him and listen to this could even lead to legal action to be taken against him if they were to run out i mean this is a big deal you got to have the wine at the wedding And the groom was not prepared to have wine to last long enough for days on end. Mary, who possibly had some part in the celebration, is then led to turn to her son Jesus in verse 3. And she says to him, as a good mom would. She says, they have no wine. That's all. She didn't say, do something about it. She just says, they have no wine. Now, Mary, the mother, knows that Jesus can do something about that. She don't have to ask Him. She just tells Him. They have no wine. Let's look at this in a spiritual rather than a physical manner. What Jesus did was not just supply an abundance of wine for the wedding. He he was presenting a replacement Listen very carefully, because this is the, this is the whole matter of the story he's replacing he 's replacing the old water, the water of purification. when you think of water of purification, the people use this water for purification when the guests come in, they would take water and pour it into a bowl just like jesus did at the at the last supper, and they would wash their the servants would wash the guest's feet and their hands clean hands clean feet however the wine the wine is not for washing hands and feet it represents something totally different the wine is representative of the kingdom of God. This is a perfect picture of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. You know, you all know that verse, so you ought to know that verse. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. When God saved you. You're no, lo- you're no longer living by stuff that you have to do. We sell people in this world today think that, that somehow that they've got to do enough good things. That somehow that when they go on to glory land, that God is going to say, let me see, all the good things you've done, it weighs 527 pounds. And all the bad things that you have done, 10,653,000 pounds. Oh, sorry, you didn't make it. No one's going to make it based on that. If God weighs your good and your bad, which one of us could weigh our good and say, that amounts to anything? What does the Scripture say? There is none good, no, not one. If we can't do anything good, then there's nothing to weigh. I hear people say that all the time. Well... I hope I've done more good things than bad things. Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. My friends, it is time to let go of those things that condemn and hold you in bondage and listen, you need to drink from the cup of the Lord in which there is life and grace and freedom and truth. And we come to verse 4. This is a most interesting passage. Verse 4. Because this is a Mama's Day passage. Jesus says to his mother Mary, and this is good, folks. This is good. He says, woman, what does that have to do with us? Mister, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you called your mama Woman. It was just before you picked yourself up from the floor, right? (laughs) A woman! That works about as good as weighing the good and the bad. To call your mother woman, even in biblical days, was not the usual practice. There is nothing in any way endearing in this expression. But... But we do find that Jesus does use this term not just here in John chapter 2, but he uses it in John chapter 19 when he's hanging on the cross. He says, woman, behold your son. Then he turns to his disciple John, to whom he's speaking, and he looks at John with blood streaming down his face. And he says, behold your mother. Mom, I'm going to take care of you. As you've taken care of me, I'm going to take care of you. So, the question why the term woman? Let's look at Luke chapter 2. You don't have to turn, let me just tell you. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 51, uh, tells us about a young boy, Jesus, who for some time is left alone in the temple of Jerusalem. The dad thinks he's with mom, and the mom thinks he's with dad. I know that never happened to anybody else ever in the world before, or again, or since then. It happens all the time. Well, I thought you had little Johnny. Oh, no, I thought you. Doesn't it happen? Of course it happens. But here, poor Jesus out there in the temple for days. Mom and dad were worried, sick as to the whereabouts, and alas, They find him in the temple talking to the religious leaders. Remember that story? Then we read. You'll only find this Bible. You'll only find this in the Bible. You'll not find this in real life, but only in the Bible. In Luke 2.48, because we don't talk like this anymore. In Luke 2.48, you can't find your kid for days. In Luke 2.48, it says... After Mary finds him, Mary finds him in the temple. She says, behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Now, I say that you won't find it because if that happened today, it's not going to be behold. It's going to be just wait till we get home, young man. Mama ain't going to say behold. She must say bend over. In Luke 2, 51, we read, And he, that is Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued, listen, listen very carefully, because it tells you why he uses the word woman. It says, And he continued in subjection to them, that is to both dad and mom both. Jesus continued in subjection to his mother and his father. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mom, Mary had a perfect child. Don't tell me you got a perfect child. This was the only perfect child that ever lived. This child never did anything wrong. This child was perfect. How do we know it was perfect? Because the Bible says that in every way, he was tempted like we are, yet without what? Sin. This child never sinned. She had a perfect child, and she treasured all these things in her. This child does everything I ask him to do. Glory be! Here's an example given by Jesus to children that they are to honor their father and their mothers. He obeyed their orders and came and went as they directed him. His obedience to his parents led Mary to reflect upon these things throughout her life. My child does everything right. And he honored his mom and his dad. He did everything right. He did everything that was directed. He was in subjection. Listen very carefully. He was in subjection to his mom and his dad. So, in our text, we find Jesus and his mother engaged in a dialogue concerning the lack of wine at a wedding. Why was Jesus then, when he calls his mother a woman, why is he not being subject to his mother? He says, he says, woman, what's that got to do with me and you? That's the groom's problem, not mine. Isn't that right? Dick, that's your problem. It ain't mine. You got to deal with it. I mean, you learn that in Seminary 101 somewhere. Somebody else has got to deal with it, not the preacher. We're always right. Jesus, Jesus' insane woman is in no way being disrespectful to his mother. What he's doing is demonstrating to those that are at the wedding to come to a clear understanding as to who he is. Now he has separated himself from being the son of Mary. He is no longer, he's showing at this miracle. I am no longer the son of Mary. I am now the what? I am the son of the living God. This is not just my mom. It's not about my mom, it's about my father. Not mom, my father. You understanding this? That now he's begun his public ministry. Mom, it's not about you anymore. That my subjection is not to you and what you're saying to me. My subjection is to the heavenly father and what he wants me to do. I must be in subjection to him. He is showing here that he, he's not just his mother's son. How difficult do you suppose that was for Mary to have to bear? Because then he separates himself from her. Listen, she gave birth to him. Mom, she gave birth to him. She clothed him. Held him. Watch him as he took his first steps. She taught him the elementary skills of life. And then as he grew, she became dependent upon him. As he grew into adulthood... Because Joseph is no longer on the scene. As he grew into being a man, she became dependent upon him as being the family head. And now she's beginning to realize he's not just my son. I don't need him as my son as much as I need him as my Savior. a different relationship being established. But now, now it's Mary who's to be subject to Jesus as he engages in the mission to be the Savior of the world. So he must be about the business of doing the will of his Father who's in heaven. Not his father Joseph, but God It's about doing, folks. And the same thing is true for you and I. It's about us doing the predetermined plan of God. You know that God has a plan for each one of of us. We are to do the predetermined plan of God. That God, according to Scripture, is it not God who directs our steps? Should Should we not recognize that God has set a course for our lives a direction for us that that God has that God has set a course for us to to, to sell to a particular port in our in, in, in a destination in our lives and we are we are to go there post haste until we get to that port that place of destination then our journey is not complete until we arrive Jesus understood this, that the Father had set a course for him. And he set his eye to that destination. That destination was what? The cross. God had a predetermined plan to send his son to the cross. God has a predetermined plan for you. I have no idea what that destination is for each of you. It's but God has God has set a course for you and God will direct your steps into which you in which way you're to go. Jesus in verse 4 says, "My hour" he's talking to his mother. He says, "My hour, mom. Mom, my hour has not yet come." Now, this is not the only time he says these words because he uses the word woman instead of mom. Not the only time he uses the words, my hour has not yet come. You'll, you'll find those same words in John chapter 7, verse 6, John chapter 7, verse 8, John chapter 7, verse 30, John chapter 8, verse 20. You'll find those same words, my hour has not yet come. However, when you come to John 12, 23, the night before he used to, be betrayed, he used to go to the cross, When the night he's betrayed, he says in John 12, 23, the hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus knew what His destination was. The hour that Jesus throughout His ministry had been speaking of is the hour of going to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus bore our sin. Jesus bore the wrath of His Father. Jesus was forsaken by God. And dying a death that we all deserve to die. But our dying as sinners would be fruitless because there is no sacrifice that we could make nor offer or give in order that we could be forgiven and be declared to be righteous. Why is that? Why why would God not take us as a sacrifice for our own sin? Do you know why? I'll tell you why God will not accept us. Have you looked in the mirror? Look in the mirror. And, and ask yourself this question, am I looking at a sinner or not? What is the answer? I'm looking at a sinner. In order for a sacrifice to be accepted by God, it had to be what? Perfect. Look at yourself in the mirror. Say, is that a picture of perfection? I went the other day to get my new driver's license. Were they take you, and they tie you to a post, and they beat you. No. I went and got my new driver's license. And uh, he says, okay, we're going to take your picture, and I stand, up, stand up by this blue screen behind you. And he takes this picture, and I says, I looked at it. and said, who is this old man? I said, do I look like that? That's not the Pat I know. I, he's probably thinking, You ought to be looking at what I'm looking at, mister. (laughs) Folks, you and I are not perfect. We're not perfect. That's why you cannot be your own sacrifice. God only takes perfect sacrifices. Perfect, without spot or blemish, the Scripture says. None of us are without spot or blemish. Mary says to those servants at the wedding, whatever he says... To you, do it. Now, ladies, I know that today's Mother's Day, so I want to offer some good counsel, some good advice to all you moms out there with children. Tell your children the same thing that Mary told the servants at the wedding. Whatever He says to you, do it. You want some good advice? Whatever God says to them, do it. Whatever he commands in his word, whatever he teaches, whatever he's preaching in his word ought to be a command to us to act in obedience toward. Do it. You want your child to be a godly, responsible, saved human being? Then, whatever he says, do it. Mary knew her son. Mary knew her son. He may not any longer be subject to her authority as a mom, but she knew him. She knew her son. She knew that he was kind. She knew that he was caring. She knew that he was merciful and mindful. She knew that he could both provide and prove to the people his divine authority. That he could provide what was necessary. He could provide what was necessary, and he could at the same time prove his authority as God. In the house were several large pots used for purification that is for the washing of hands and feet, the washing of the guests' feet, the guests' hands. That's you. There's a bathing that takes place in order for you to get to glory. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the what? The lamb? Six pots, six pots were there equal to some 150 gallons of wine. That is a lot, a lot of wine. And please, don't say, well, that was grape juice. You know, there was no Welch's back then. (laughs) It was wine. We're not told at what point the water was made wine? But I'll guarantee you this. By the time it got to the lips of the, of the head waiter, it was wine. I don't know at what point it changed. It could have looked like water until he got I have no idea. But by the time it, it hit his lips, he said, oh, this is good stuff. This vino is Kino. This was the first sign that Jesus did. But what was its significance? What's the significance of the? There are seven signs that Jesus did. Seven of them, to prove that He is God. Not just to prove that He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior, and He gives these signs. And folks, I want to ask you, what what are you requiring? What are you requiring today that God has got to do in order to prove to you that He's God? What do you need? Do you need some, some empirical, tangible evidence? Do you need to see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, touch it? In order to see that it's real? Or are you willing by faith today to acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Just like Peter said in Matthew 16, Thou art the Christ, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Will you by faith today say, Jesus, I know that you're God. And I need you in my life. And today, I repent of my sin. I I forsake that sin that has been a hindrance and a barrier between you and I. And Jesus, by your blood, would you just wash that away? I come to you in faith, repenting of my sins, placing my trust into you to be my Lord and my Savior from this day forward when you call upon the name of the Lord like that, folks, it's not because you just have that inkling to do that. It's because the Holy Spirit's done a work in your life. You're acknowledging the Holy Spirit's done a work in your life, and, and he, has, he has opened your heart up to believe the gospel. Oh, preacher, what is the gospel? The gospel is simply this, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Three things, death, burial, and resurrection. It's all according to Scripture. Would you today acknowledge Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of the living God, is now my Savior. I believe, I believe that He is God. By His death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, I believe that He is God. I want Him in my life. Would you do that today? What a wonderful Mother's Day gift. As we close, this Gospel of John has got 21 chapters in it. The last chapter has a passage in it. There's a, there's a passage in the last chapter John chapter 20 and verse 31, the chapter before the last one, 20, 31. It says this. These things have been written that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. He didn't say you have to go out and do a bunch of good works. He says believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God.